WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. By the way, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Not only is it Father's Day, but it's also Juneteenth, a holiday that commemorates the end of slavery here in America. But it's one that really, honestly, has only gained national recognition in the last few years. After four bloody years, the Union defeated the Confederacy to win the Civil War and abolish slavery in April 1865. There were nearly four million slaves in the U.S. at the time. Union armies began marching through the southern states, freeing thousands of slaves each day. The news took months to reach Texas, the westernmost state in the Confederacy. On June 19, 1865, Major General Gordon Granger and 2,000 Union troops rode into Galveston and told slaves of their freedom. Granger's words spread through Texas. All at once, slaves found out the war was over and they were free. Their joyous, spontaneous celebration gave birth to what we now know as Juneteenth. Juneteenth, a combination of the words June and 19th, commemorates when the last enslaved people in the South were finally set free. Many slaves were met with violence or death when they tried to leave, yet the promise of freedom extinguished that fear and fueled generations to come. Former slaves gathered on Juneteenth the next year and the year after that, and over the decades, black communities observed the holiday with festive family gatherings, parades, and barbecues. Following the summer protests in the wake of George Floyd's murder in 2020, private companies made Juneteenth a permanent paid holiday for their workers. In 2021, Congress passed legislation to make it a federal holiday. President Biden signed it into law days later. Juneteenth, a celebration of independence, the day all Americans were truly free. Joining us now, Dr. Crystal Edens, assistant professor of the, in the Department of Africana Studies in UNC Charlotte. Professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. We're, we're one year into Juneteenth being a federal holiday. Um, why, why is that important? Um, I think it's important because um, the history of Juneteenth kind of reminds us of the longstanding struggle for black freedom in the United States. Um, the holiday symbolizes June 19th, 1865, uh, the day that African Americans in Galveston, Texas learned that the Civil War had ended and that two months earlier um, and that the Emancipation Proclamation was in effect, which freed 250,000 former slaves in Texas. Um, so the the date marked the beginning of this long standing tradition of celebrations, making Juneteenth the oldest holiday that commemorates the end of slavery in the United States. Um, and I think that Juneteenth remains a critically important time for us as a society to honor the lives of black Americans who were enslaved in this country, the contributions they made and the legacies that they left. Yeah, and I know there's sort of a back and forth and a, a bit of a controversy in that July 4th is often called Independence Day, but in a way, uh, Juneteenth is, is its own. Yes, absolutely. And I think that what you're uh, speaking to goes to the heart of our questions around how we tell the story of the history of this country. Um, we are now seeing a resistance, I think, to the full and accurate accounting of the history of slavery and its impact on our society today. Um, there are folks who you know, want to ban critical race theory, uh, the 1619 Project and other books. We're seeing this in other states. Um, and it's really kind of motivated by um, these kind of long lasting white supremacist ideologies, essentially, that you know, misinterpret um, the history of slavery and 
really kind of don't want us to fully recognize that slavery really does sit at the heart of who we are as a nation, um, but Juneteenth helps us to remember this truth. And so incorporating that into the timeline of um, of the, the holidays that we recognize, I think is important. Um, along with this sort of new sort of attention that Juneteenth has gotten in the last few years, uh, it's become more commercialized in ways. Walmart gotten in trouble with a Juneteenth ice cream uh, th this, this past year. Um, the thought is people should be supporting black owned businesses instead. Uh, talk about that. Sure, yeah. Uh, companies like Walmart and, and Dollar Tree were kind of caught red-handed, if you will, um, attempting to capitalize on the holiday by marketing um, Juneteenth products to Black consumers like ice cream and uh, paper plates and things like that, um, really, you know, without any type of uh, context or any type of depthful engagement uh, with issues around racial justice. Um, and so, yeah, the, the kind of commercialization of Juneteenth, I think, is is problematic. Um, but there are other um, companies and, and corporations that are, you know, recognizing the holiday. And so I think that, you know, they're they're doing this as, as in a way to kind of help with um, addressing the questions around diversity and, and racial justice and equity that have kind of been reignited or the calls that for these things have been reignited in the past two years since uh, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, the murder of George Floyd. Um, but yes, absolutely, you know, supporting black owned businesses um, and companies and supporting black workers, um, supporting black consumers are all an important um, aspect of, you know, what Juneteenth represents. You, you're talking about uh, corporations and, and businesses. What about on the, on the person to person level? Um, for white folks out there who, who want to support their, their black friends, and what, are, what are the best ways to sort of mark Juneteenth? What, what are the do's and don'ts? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that um, people, you know, celebrate Juneteenth in in various ways, especially within the African American community. Um, many folks choose to celebrate by, you know, coming together with family and friends and and just setting together to reflect. Um, but I think that you know, reflection and um, learning is a great way to for many black Americans as well as white Americans um, to begin to really think about what um, what our country is, who we are as a nation, um, and how the histories of slavery, you know, continue to live with us and to really reflect on um, what it means to be white. Uh, I mean, that's, I think that's probably a, a great way for many white Americans to, to start um, to embrace these histories and to embrace um, the you know, positive and maybe not so positive aspects of, of whiteness and, and think about it in, in critical ways and begin to dismantle it. I think you said reflection and learning. I think reflection and learning would go a long way um, for a lot of issues uh, today, for, for all of us to do a little bit more of that. Um, Juneteenth is nothing new. What do you think was, was really the impetus for this? What, what do you think was changed the conversation, changed the narrative in the last few years? 
Sure. Well, uh, so there have been, you know, uh, again, these longstanding traditions and celebrations that have uh, spread across Black America since 1865. Um, but in recent years, there's been a woman named Opal Lee. Um, she's been mobilizing for years to make Juneteenth a national holiday, and her campaign gained uh, 1.5 million signatures in support of uh, the holiday. Um, and recognition finally came last year when Congress passed a bill to designate Juneteenth as a federal holiday, and President Biden signed a proclamation of um, observation. Um, but in reading that proclamation that President Biden signed, um, it spoke to uh, the importance of embracing equity, equality, and justice amid the long freedom struggle in this country um, against racial violence and against more insidious systemic forms of racism. Um, so the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020, um, as well as uh, last year was the 100th anniversary of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. And this was mentioned in the proclamation. Um, and so I think in tandem, these two things, and as well as the ongoing activism, um, kind of were the momentum to push for better understanding of the legacies of slavery and Jim Crow and um, put the federal holiday designation kind of at the forefront of that conversation. Dr. Crystal Eddins. Doctor, thanks for coming on and talking to us about it. But it was a really important uh, topic. And, and as I mentioned, here's hoping for more reflection on learning for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint on WCNC Charlotte. Today we are celebrating Juneteenth. Did you know there's a specific flag for Juneteenth? In fact, it has a backstory that goes back to the late 1990s. The Juneteenth flag commemorates the day that slavery ended here in the U.S. The red, white, and blue banner with a bursting star in the middle is full of symbols, according to the flag's creator, activist Ben Haith, founder of the National Juneteenth Celebration Foundation. Let's start with the colors of course representing the American flag, and a reminder that slaves and their descendants were and are Americans. The curve across the width of the flag represents a new horizon, the opportunities and promise that lay ahead for black Americans after freedom. The white star in the center of the flag has dual meaning, representing Texas, the Lone Star State first. It was in Galveston in 1865 when Union soldiers informed the country's last remaining slaves that the Civil War was over and they were free. Haith says that star also goes beyond Texas, representing the freedom of African-Americans in all 50 states. The bursting outline around that star is inspired by a nova, or a new star. According to astronomy, this represents a new beginning for all African-Americans. Joining us now is Dr. Ahmad Nadiri, an associate professor of English and Arabic studies at Johnson C. Smith University. Professor, thanks for coming back on. We appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, you've told me in the past that, that, that Juneteenth is, is symbolic and that it's a, a teachable moment. If that's the case, what do you think is the lesson of Juneteenth? I think the lesson is the, some of the different means by which African-Americans, well, really formerly enslaved Africans, you know, struggled to find their place in what, what became their new nation or tried to find a place in an already existing nation and i would say this is that would be a part of that struggle and really kind of the uh you might say one of the first steps of that struggle because before that time of course there was no there was no recognized place for african-americans or for the formerly enslaved in the country 
And of course, they wouldn't formally be recognized as citizens until the 14th Amendment. And so I would say this is, it is a part of a, of a long freedom struggle that starts hundreds of years ago before that point, but is one of the first times in which there is the potential for a political and a civic position for these people. And it was at the time liberty delayed for those enslaved folks in Texas. Uh, and today it, it's recognition delayed, do you think? Well, I think it's, I would agree with that. And I think when we look at Texas is one example, but actually the 13th Amendment was only as powerful as the Union troops that were there to enforce it. So what we see is that actually, as the Union soldiers move from place to place, that's actually when the 13th Amendment comes into effect. So although it's decreed some years earlier, it doesn't actually have practical effect until you, we see in Juneteenth is just the most powerful reminder of that fact. To that point, Juneteenth, we now know, you, you, you hear about it. Uh, in the last few years, more companies recognized the day. Last year, it became a federal holiday. You and I spoke about it at the time. What, what do you credit for the groundswell of support and progress in the last few years? I think, honestly, you'd have to say that the social unrest and beginning really kind of uh, peaking in, the, in 2020 was a powerful motivator for it, that it that there was always some support and growing support, but I think that kind of really put it in a way, it presented it or, or gave it an opportunity to kind of serve as a, as a way in which to try to heal or smooth over some rough edges. And I think that it's hard to make an argument that it would have been a holiday without a lot of the unrest. And so it's a little different perhaps from the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, which kind of a, emerged in the mid 80s and i mean although there was a lot of political there was a lot of political activity on behalf of the martin luther king jr holiday i would say that the events of 2020 especially were probably although they weren't intended to have that consequence i would say that they probably did have that consequence uh, a few members of congress voted against juneteenth becoming a federal holiday last year i think 14 of them perhaps um there, and there's an ongoing conversation about curriculum in, in our schools, and you're a professor, so, so, so you know that. Um, how much do you think we, we should be focusing on our country's past, including the, the ugly chapter of, of slavery and, and the, the story of Juneteenth? I think we should, I think that if we're gonna teach history that we need to, but I think it needs to be more expansive. I think that the, one of the problems with the ways in which slavery is presented is that it's presented from the perspective of the enslaving class so that you have traditionally you have slaves and you have masters when in actuality you had people who were enslaved and you had people who enslaved them and because we rarely talk about black history or african history except from the point of enslavement or the point of colonization the entire history then is presented as kind of a crime scene and then we're just talking about mitigating harm or mitigating the presentation of harm. And I think that in a state like North Carolina, where about 25, 20 to 25% of its residents are African-American, and probably slightly more than that are in the public school system, I think you would teach the history the same way that we teach the foundations of the United States from the European side, which is to say 
that you get a healthy dose of European history. And then we see the progression as people arrive in the Americas. And I think we would we should do the same thing with African history. And that is to present a healthy dose of it so that people have some real context for the peoples who were enslaved and brought to the United States amongst many other places in the Caribbean and South and Central America. And we would have a better understanding of the, the true history of all the peoples who were brought to the United States or who were already in the United States. And then it wouldn't just be necessarily that is, it wouldn't, it would be a greater conversation. And I think there would be greater respect all around. And I think that it would especially help African-American students who then wouldn't just be trying to situate themselves in the context of slavery and freedom. Yeah, and perhaps we all get more out of a conversation like what you're suggesting. Do you think, um, do you think people, do you think Juneteenth is different for folks here, say in the Carolinas versus what it would be in, in other states? I think it is, and I, I would assume that Texas would be obviously the place that had the, where it would have the greatest impact. Although traditionally many different states and many different regions had specific celebrations related to their experience of, uh, of emancipation. And so I, I, what we'll probably see is that as it becomes more of a federal holiday, that it just is presented in the same way. And that unfortunately, many of the, the local flavor, much of the local flavor may be missed. But I would assume, but I would assume that in Texas, it probably has the greatest significance, although there may be a political kind of, there may be a political bent to it in the way that it's in the way that it's uh, celebrated and observed and or remarked upon. Okay. All right, Dr. Aman Nadiri, Associate Professor at Johnson C. Smith University. Professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint on WCNC Charlotte. This week, Charlotte City Council signing off on millions of dollars in improvements to the Spectrum Center. The whole plan would come up with a, a performance center where the current Charlotte Transportation Center is. It would bring new train, training facility for Hornets, along with shops, restaurants, a new plaza, you name it. Some think this new entertainment district will reignite the uptown area. Others say it's too similar to the now desolate epicenter just about a block away from there. WCNC Charlotte's Austin Walker has more. I'm going to describe a plan for a new building. It has bars, restaurants, and a place for people to gather. Plus, it brings in money and it has parking. So am I talking about the Hornets' new practice facility and performance center, or am I talking about what the epicenter used to be? You decide. Once a thriving spot, people and money flooding in, but then bankruptcy. The COVID-19 pandemic putting the final nail in the epicenter's coffin. Today, sitting empty for the majority. I think there's still a lot of us that are really concerned for Uptown. But a new plan partnering with the Hornets, greenlit by Council Monday. A $60 million performance facility with an entertainment district. For some, this could be a saving grace. But the plan just steps away from the one success story, now some calling an eyesore. Others saying it feels like copy and paste. It does have good bones to it. 
asking Tracy Dodson, assistant city manager, why not use the existing structure of the epicenter for the new performance facility? It checks nearly all the boxes the new entertainment district is planning for. Not really knowing what the price is that that would go for. It has a complicated ownership structure to it. She adds, there's no place to put the courts. Work with the private sector, especially on the epicenter. Mayor Vi Lyles is just one of the many who want the epicenter back up and thriving and are hoping for a good buyer to partner with the city. Our question, can the city buy the epicenter? I don't think it's on the city's radar necessarily to buy the epicenter. I think what we would like to go back to is what we had with the previous owner. In previous reporting by WCNC, many public leaders saying the previous owner was anything but good. So why doesn't the city compete for purchase when it's all a part of their overall plan for revitalization? That's a tough question to say that whether or not we could. A feeling of deja vu. A new hotspot planned for Uptown, hoping its fraternal twin around the corner doesn't bring it down. So what comes next? The actual plan. The $60 million by the council only goes towards the performance facility in this building. That is this level right here. Nothing else. The parking, the transit, any of the retail shops. Dodson says that plan should be coming up by August. So we'll just stay tuned. Everything old is new again, including there in Uptown. More Flashpoint after this. Folks, welcome back. Come interact with me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we're there. And we'll see you back here next week.